Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, Arrow. How are you? Fantastic. How about you, sir? I'm doing well, thanks. I'll have till 10 after. I'll tell you what, I'm so proud of you for jumping on this project in the way that, especially for NBA fans or new ones to the game, is that the only story that people know about Kobe is the one that's been in the headlines. And and he, he grabbed a lot of headlines, but you are giving us the real story on this. I appreciate that. Thanks. I mean, you know, to me, um, Kobe was a fascinating figure. And this this part of his life that I cover in the podcast and in the book is the most fascinating time. And I'm biased because I'm a you know, suburban Philly native. But to me, this is the most fascinating point of his life. You've got actual sound of him as a teenager. That inspires me because, you know, being a, a radio person, I've got cassette tapes of me back when I was like nine and 10 years old. But my God, to hear Kobe as a teenager. Yeah, it's amazing. It's like hearing his voice from beyond the grave. I, I literally get chills every time I hear it. Um, you know, and I got these tapes from a friend of mine and a friend of his, a confidant of his named Jeremy Treatman, who knew Kobe back in the mid-1990s, covered him a little bit, ended up coaching him at Lower Marion High School, wanted to collaborate with him on a book back then. They did a series of interviews together. Uh, Jeremy transcribed some of them, but not all of them. He loses track of where he put the micro cassettes of these recordings. Mm. I'm working on this book, and then three days before Christmas, Jeremy's cleaning out his garage, and he finds the tapes. And he calls me up, and he gives me the tapes, and I'm able to use them to help write the book, The Rise. It's coming out in January, and I'm, I'm able to turn them into this podcast, I Am Kobe, where everybody can hear what Kobe's thinking, feeling, saying when he's 17, 18, 19 years old. Now, one of the things that, that I've learned about podcasting is that there's always got to be a continuation and stuff like that, because nothing breaks my heart more than when I get to the end of a season or a series and stuff like that. Will you push this forward even more in the way that maybe we'll get to know even more of his family and friends or, or find out other things? Is, is this a growing project? Well, it's growing in the sense that there are going to be a couple bonus episodes. Oh. The podcast right now is, is 10 parts, kind of a straight narrative mm-hmm. um, of Kobe's early life. We're going to have two more bonus episodes after that that are going to kind of stand alone. And then we've, of course, got the book, The Rise, coming out in January. Um, Once I get a sense of the reception um, to the podcast and the book, then I'll kind of take a step back, I think, and evaluate whether, um, you know, Kobe is a story that I want to continue diving into and telling. Because as you said, people know him so well from the time he joins the Lakers until his tragic death in 2020. So this part of his story was one that I felt like people – had either forgotten or weren't as familiar with already. And I really wanted to tell that I wanted to do, basically I wanted to do his origin story. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do Batman begins for the black Mamba. 
That is so absolutely true. I'll tell you one of the things that I learned from Jerry Valancourt, who was one of the play-by-play announcers for the Hornets. He said that Kobe, when he would come to town, he would sit down with him and just have a conversation. It's like, my God, here, here is the, uh, uh, the, the Batman, and he's sitting down with the storyteller on the radio just to, ha- just to shoot it. Yeah, you know, Kobe did that throughout his life. You know, you go back to when he's a senior at Lower Marion High School, and Lower Marion plays St. Anthony High School from Jersey City, coached by the great Bob Hurley. He sits down with Bob after the game and talks for 5, 10, 20 minutes, <laughs> picking his brain about what could, I, what could I have done better in this game to help my team win, and what advice do you have for me? He, he does that throughout his life, even at an early age. He's, always, he's a sponge. He's a searcher. And... You know, at times throughout his early life, as it did throughout his later life, sometimes there's a cost to that searching. Sometimes he becomes completely self-absorbed to the point where it damages relationships with friends and family members and things like that. But to me, that complexity, that those shades of gray are what made him so interesting. In in your studies, what when did he make the move to? Because I I'll tell you the one thing that my wife used to tell me all the time when we'd see Kobe play at the at the Coliseum here in town, and I would say, watch his eyes, watch his eyes. He's studying the game. He's studying the game. When did he know that he was the student that could exhale and and really bring bring forward everything that needed to happen? I would say as early as fourteen, fifteen years yeah. old. I mean, he was talking to friends of his when he was in eighth and ninth grade that he had his his eyes pointed toward making the jump to the NBA from high school and, and put that in context, right? Like Kevin Garnett comes out and jumps from high school to the NBA in 1995, but Kevin Garnett was seven feet tall. He was built mm-hmm. like a man mm-hmm. when he was 18 years old. Kobe was six, five, six, six, this <laughs> kind of wispy shooting guard. So that when he announced that he was taking his talent to the NBA, people looked at him like he was crazy. And yet they, what they didn't know was that he had been planning and preparing for this for years he had been watching his father and his teammates play when his, when the family lived in italy you know picking up on the fundamentally sound way that italian players played the game and then melding that preparation with the athleticism and the 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 breathtaking moves and and kind of street game that he learned growing up in and around philadelphia and so that by the time he's ready to make the jump he's the total package it's just kind of a matter of you know, in a way, kind of waiting for the dinner to finish cooking. And then you're going to have this meal that is just completely delicious. And by the time he's a, you know, in his second year of the NBA, he's an all-star and he's on this track to becoming one of the best of all time. You talk about his history in Italy and stuff like that. I giggled like a child when, when you, when you spoke about how, how teachers love talking with Kobe because he was there, there was just something about his global appearance that he just, he just, you know, was just, was always there. Yeah, you know, and you see that again early on in his life. He one of his mentors is his sophomore year English teacher. <laughs> they become very, very close. And I get into the book and and partly in the podcast as well about he read the Iliad and the Odyssey when he's in tenth grade, and he sees himself as kind of on the same track as these Greek heroes of myth. And he would talk to his teacher, you know, Jeannie Mastriano, about this. And you know, it's the kind of thing where it sounds almost, I don't know if you would say too good to be true or almost mythic in and of itself, but it actually happened. And you can hear him talking this way and having this understanding of who he was, what he wanted, and what it would take to get there. And as I said, he was willing to do kind of whatever it took or to, to make any sort of personal sacrifice that was necessary 
whether it was shedding friends, whether it was not hanging out on the weekend with his buddies, to be able to go and achieve what he wanted, to be the best basketball player in the world. I'll tell you one of the things that I picked up very early on on your podcast, I Am Kobe, and that is is that you know I was expecting to go to to have some sort of documentary based on, oh, oh you know, uh, we, we've lost a great one, blah, blah, blah. But no, you, you, you really take the direction of, hey, I got this story. I just want you to know that I've done a little bit of research, and, and we, I've got this story, and you need to know a lot more of what you think you know. Yeah, I think time and place and setting matter a lot in that. And you can't understand Kobe Bryant unless you understand those factors in his upbringing. You have to know what Philadelphia was like when Joe Bryant was growing up there and playing there and making his rise to becoming an NBA player. Uh, you have to know what this Kobe's surroundings were like in Lower Marion, you know, it, that he kind of fell out of the sky when he was an eighth grader and his family moves back from Europe and he doesn't know pop culture. He doesn't know what to wear what music to listen to, what TV shows to watch, any of that stuff. And it is a story. And that's what people respond to, I think, is tell me a story. And this is the story of how Kobe Bryant became Kobe Bryant. Yeah, you know, you paint the most incredible picture by what you just said, because you know what? We have forgotten about those days that inspired those that are on the court today. You know, the, the, to me, when 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 it was the Knickerbockers, I mean, I mean, come on now. I mean, when, you know, when, when the 76ers or even when L.A. and all that stuff, when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar played, dude, I mean, how many people even talk about that anymore? And you give us that opportunity to step back into those shoes. Yeah, you know, I think that's part of what draw, draws people to sports is connections right whether it's the team that you grew up rooting for or that you're your favorite athlete or or just something that you learn about an athlete or a coach or a figure that makes you say you know what i can relate to that yeah. or i can't relate to that let me know let me learn more about it and kobe by the time he died had become a, a lightning rod doesn't quite capture it because people in some ways kind of saw what they wanted to see in him and, and could see what they wanted to see in him because he was so complex and had so many sides to him. There was lightness, there was light, there was darkness. There was selfishness, there was generosity. There was this redemptive arc that he traveled having, you know, what, what he was accused of doing and what, and what had done in Aurora, Colorado in 2003 mm -hmm. and 2004 and traveling the arc so that he had seemed to or at least created the perception that he had redeemed himself from that and now was becoming a girl dad and was involved in women's basketball and getting his daughter Gianna, who you know also tragically died in that helicopter crash, on her way to becoming, to kind of following in his footsteps and to being a filmmaker and writing books and all of these things, he was still ascending. And I think that's why his death hits everybody so hard was there was more of his story to be written and we're not gonna get a chance to experience it and read it. You know, you bring up a very interesting point about being a girl dad. I swear to you that I see more fathers with their daughters in public these days, and I, I would love to see the research to find out if Kobe's story became their story and they wanted to be like Kobe in the way of, you know what, my daughter, she is someone who loves sports. I need to invest in that as well. Yeah, I think that's that's very, very true. Um, you know, again, he had seemed to kind of redevote himself to having his personality, himself, his image kind of evolve over time. To me, this is one of the big differences, for instance, between him and Michael Jordan, yeah. right? Like Michael Jordan never really had to travel that redemptive journey. He never had to persuade anybody or convince anybody that the mistakes he had made or the dark 
the dark past he had, uh, that he had put that away and changed and grown. Michael was the greatest, and he has stayed the greatest ever since. Kobe traveled a different path, mm-hmm. and I think the fact that his involvement in his daughter's lives as a father, um, his involvement in Vanessa's life as a husband, allowed people to see him in a new way, to view him with a sense of hope that really kind of made him almost a transcendent figure. And whether that was true or not almost doesn't matter. We like that story. We like that idea. That's something that we kind of hold on to. And he was so committed to the community. My God, what he did in Los Angeles with that community and stuff like that. And he wasn't afraid to get his picture taken. You know, there, there are times you can do things with Cam Newton, but there are times Cam says, don't take a picture of me. But the, the thing is, is that Kobe always seemed to let people take pictures of him. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that's based in part on his upbringing. You know, we, you look at him when he's in Lower Marion Township, right? Like one of the cool parts to his story to me is that he played for his local high school. If Kobe had come along now, he would play high school basketball at IMG Academy <laughs> or Montverde Academy, you know, one of these places that turns out athletes like they're on a conveyor belt, like, tr- you know, cranking out sports cars at a factory. Kobe embraced his community when he was a teenager and the community embraced him back. And I have to think that that at least played a part in the way that he approached living in Los Angeles and the way that he kind of carried himself in his later life. Like even with the Lakers, yes, he was totally immersed in himself and being a great player, being the greatest player he could possibly be. And that aspect of his personality shines through at all times. But there was this other side to him, particularly early in his life and then later in his life, where he does embrace other people, embrace his community, his surroundings. There is a sense of him being part of something bigger than just himself. But see, I love that part of Kobe when he would step out there on that court and he had the confidence and the courage to say, yeah, I am Kobe. I am. I know what's going to happen here today. I'm going to outshoot everybody and I'm going to score the most buckets. And and, and that's what I loved about him. Was that, But at the same time, it was a cool, calm, superhero kind of confidence. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, you can't, you can't watch his 81-point game against the Raptors <laughs> in 2006. At least I can't. I can't watch that without thinking about some of the things that he did in high school and how he handled some of the things that came up for him in high school. Like, watch his press conference when he announces that he's going to the NBA. He is totally self-assured in that moment. And when you see that, and then you watch the way that he plays against the Raptors in that game, like – I remember hearing Jalen Rose talk about that game because he was on the Raptors that night and, and guarding Kobe. Kobe was so controlled in scoring those 81 points and, and shoot, taking the shots that he took. It, you have to see it as two sides of the same coin. Like he could just be so in control of himself at times that it's almost kind of, I don't know if off-putting or scary is the way – I think as you said it, it's almost kind of supernatural mm-hmm. in some ways to be able to look at him, whether he's standing in front of a group of people as an 18-year-old announcing what his intentions are or whether it is having putting together the greatest night of basketball offense since Wilt Chamberlain. That's right. It's, it's the same person. It's the same entity. Wow, it was Wilt Chamberlain that put that little Nerf ball in my hand in my in my gymnasium in the living room. But now I'll tell you what, I wish I would have been a fly on the wall when when Kobe was a Charlotte Hornet for 30 seconds because I I just wish I could have just heard his voice when they when they say Charlotte Hornets have picked Kobe Bryant and what what did Kobe say? Well, you know, it's interesting. Kobe knew going into the draft that he was probably going to end up with the Lakers. Yep. So I'm not sure that him being a Charlotte Hornet 
meant anything to him other than I know I'm going to end up with the Lakers. This is all kind of unfolding the way that I, Kobe, and my agent, Arn Tellum, wanted to see things unfold. Because there was so, and I get into this in the book, and I'll get into it a little bit in the podcast. There were so many machinations behind the scenes that Kobe wanted to be with the Lakers. The Lakers wanted him. Sonny Vaccaro, the sneaker mogul who was with Adidas, wanted him with the Lakers in the Los Angeles market at the time. So when Kobe hears his name called as, you know, now playing for the Charlotte Hornets, Kobe Bryant, I think he took it as, this is exactly how my plan is unfolding. <laughs> it's supposed to unfold because I know I'm going to end up with the Lakers because the Hornets drafted. <laughs> Dude, okay, book, podcast, there has to be a documentary or a movie on Netflix or, or even Hulu. Are you, are you working on that or can you talk about it? I cannot comment on Okay. That. <laughs> well, I'm proud of you, man, because I'll tell you what, you're, you're going to thicken the the the, the storyline of Kobe Bryant in the way that we don't have to brag about how great Kobe is. We just know it. And it's because of podcasts like yours that give us the opportunity to really say, yeah, I know it because I'm learning about it. Well, I appreciate that very much, Arrow. Thank you. Please come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you, Mike. I appreciate it very much, man. I would enjoy that. You'd be brilliant, okay? All right, you too, man. Thanks. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.